Welcome to the Eye on the Cure podcast, the podcast about winning the fight against retinal disease from the Foundation Fighting Blindness. Welcome, everyone, to the Eye on the Cure podcast. I'm your host, Ben Shaberman, with the Foundation Fighting Blindness, and I'm very much looking forward to my conversation for this episode with Alex Cohen, who is a professor, but he doesn't hold the typical PhD that most of our podcast guests hold. And we're going to discuss his unique educational and professional journey, which was strongly influenced by a diagnosis of retinitis pigmentosa while he was pursuing a Bachelor of Science in Hotel Administration at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. And part of our conversation will cover what happened as Alex moved forward in his career. But what initially inspired me to reach out to Alex and do this interview was his founding of a company called Accessible Pharmacy. So we're going to spend a good amount of time talking about that as well. I think many of our listeners will be interested to learn about Accessible Pharmacy. So, Alex, welcome to Eye on the Cure. It's great to have you. It's awesome to be here, Ben. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us. (laughs) So, to begin, tell us a little bit about your diagnosis with retinitis pigmentosa and how that kind of influenced your life's journey and even your career. Well, From a very early age, I was always nearsighted and always had a great deal of difficulty seeing at night. My night vision was terrible. And as you progress, as you get older, more and more of your life, your social life takes place in the evening. And I was finding that I was having a great deal of of difficulty navigating, playing sports, being able to, for example, find my friends in a movie theater once the movie had already started or something like that, or, or being able to play uh, football at dusk in the street. And in my late teens, I received uh, LASIK surgery, and the problem with the night vision still persisted, even though my nearsightedness was all but gone. So I am lucky to live and grow up in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, a pretty established hotbed of ophthalmology and, and research. And we went to Will's Eye Hospital to figure out what was going on. And they said, looks like you have retinitis pigmentosa. And I said, okay, well, what do we do about that? How, how do we fix that? And they're like, yeah, there's not really a cure or anything like that right now, but there's a, a, a doctor in Massachusetts doing a lot of work in this area. And that's when I first became a patient of the uh, late, great Dr. Burstein at the Massachusetts Eye and Ear Infirmary and became one of his patients involved in some of the uh, earliest studies to see how different supplements and nutrition could help possibly halt the uh, progression of my retinitis pigmentosa. So of course, the diagnosis comes as a shock and and a bit of a bummer, but I could still see at that time reasonably well, except for my night vision, and was really living my life and making the most of it, you know, with the knowledge that eventually the retinitis pigmentosa is going to kick in and rob me of my vision, but not yet. So uh, I might as well, you know, not let anything at all hold me back, not fall into any kind of depression finish my degree, pursue my career, et cetera. And so I've never really let it hold me back. 
you know, there are certain challenges faced by having RP, but if anything, you know, it gives me more strength and resolve. And being involved with the uh, FFB allows me to have the power of positive thinking that, you know, hopefully RP is just going to be, you know, a, a temporary inconvenience and we'll eventually find uh, some remedy through different gene therapies or different things that the foundation is, is helping to work with. Well, we appreciate your support of the foundation. You're one of the thousands out there who's driving the research through your support. I know you're active in Vision Walk, and that means means a lot to us. So you were in college when you were diagnosed, and early on in your educational journey, you knew you wanted to be in the hospitality business. What was it that drew you to hospitality? As simple as this, I, I always loved traveling and always loved going on vacation and staying in hotels and, and especially resorts. And I had an uncle who had run different hotels and resorts in St. Thomas and in, in the Virgin Islands and you know heard about what he did and, and saw him in action. What a, a great career opportunity. So I went to talk to my dad about it and said, you know, I, I think that this is something that I want to do. And so at the earliest opportunity, I believe I was uh, around 15 years old, we knew somebody who uh, owned the, uh, the Warwick Hotel in Philadelphia, and I was able to uh, get a uh, summer job there as a you know, front office agent and you know, taking reservations and answering phones and doing check-ins and check-outs. And I thought it was fantastic. And I loved it. And you know, that was really my first stop in my hospitality career progression. And uh, I really never looked back until uh, eventually having to uh, make a career change in, in my 30s. And so you you got your bachelor's degree in hotel administration from UNLV. Yes, and the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, uh, if you can imagine, really does have a uh, phenomenal program. Because, uh, I mean, for anybody who's been to Las Vegas and you get off the airport, you go down Paradise and to the right is the UNLV campus. And to the uh, the left is uh, Las Vegas Boulevard and, and Tropicana. And my goodness, I mean, there are more hotel rooms on that, on those uh, four corners than the entire city of Philadelphia. I mean, it really is a, an incredible place to receive that kind of education. And I loved it. And so... After you got your bachelor's degree, didn't you spend a good part of your time in Las Vegas professionally? After I graduated, I immediately got a position with Mirage Incorporated, working specifically in the Golden Nugget uh, Casino Resort, a lovely property downtown. And, you know, it, it was great experience. And I really learned a lot there. The problem that I was facing is my night vision was getting a bit worse. And I was feeling less and less comfortable driving. Anybody in one of these Western cities can, can tell you, you have to drive everywhere. Public transportation isn't you know, terribly reliable or consistent. And, you know, even if you just wanted to go out and get a gallon of milk or something, you you need to get in your car. And so it was getting pretty apparent that this was not a, a great place for me. And that's why I made the decision to move back to a more pedestrian-friendly northeastern city. And I moved back to Philadelphia. Right. And you stayed in hospitality. In fact, you even moved deeper <laughs> into that profession. 
because you ended up going back for a PhD in hospitality. I didn't even realize one could get a PhD in hospitality. Oh, so no, so so my PhD is in marketing. Oh, okay. Yeah. What had uh, occurred is I had reached a point in my career where uh, it was going to be difficult to continue being a general manager of a hotel. And I decided that I wanted to make a career change and I wanted to become a professor in a hospitality program. And so I went back to school with the help of the Pennsylvania Department of Occupational Vocational Rehabilitation and Blindness and Visual Services and went back to school at uh, Drexel University and received my master's degree in hospitality management with the intent of continuing on to a PhD in the business school at the LeBeau College of Business going into uh, the marketing program because I wasn't going to leave Philadelphia. And, you know, although there are more than 200 different universities around southeastern Pennsylvania, there aren't really that many hospitality programs. And so getting a PhD in hospitality, I don't think most people really do that. Th those are available, but, you know, I, I think a lot of people go through, you know, business school and then and kind of return to hospitality that way. And so that was initially my intention. And I got accepted and, and began at the in the doctoral program uh, at, at Drexel, uh, getting my PhD in marketing. And the opportunities, including the salaries, were a bit more expansive than they would be if I had stayed in, in, in hospitality. So I end up uh, now, I teach marketing and I teach courses in consumer behavior, sales and sales management, entrepreneurship, and I'm actually developing a course in hospitality marketing for my university. So when I'm using examples in my real life experience, it's still quite relevant. And my students actually really understand my hospitality examples a bit more than maybe talking about, you know, retailing or pharmaceutical selling or something like that, because everybody has gone to a restaurant or gone on vacation and kind of has at, at their core sense of, of what the hospitality business is all about. But uh, yeah, so, so making the career change to becoming a professor was not an easy decision, uh, you know, getting a, a master's degree takes a while and there's an expense to that and getting a, a doctorate in uh, marketing. It was a five-year program. So, you know, discussing it with my wife, like this is going to be, you know, a seven-year commitment to, to make this happen. So are you primarily a professor now? Or are you still in the hospitality business? I am not in the hospitality business uh, anymore. I still love the hospitality business and still hold on to that enthusiasm for travel and 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 uh, going out to eat and special events and event coordination. But I primarily, I teach my marketing courses and I research. And the research I do is uh, primarily focused on how to create a more inclusive marketplace for customers with disabilities. And that's actually what I had done my uh, dissertation on, which actually eventually led to uh, the creation of accessible pharmacy services. Right. And that's what I'm very excited for you to talk more about. So tell us how you got accessible pharmacy off the ground. You came up with the concept and, and maybe we should even start with that. Why did you think there was a need for such a business? 
While I was doing my, my research, I made a contact who is now one of my best friends, uh, Andy Burstein, who is actually our, our CEO of Accessible Pharmacy Services. And at the time, he was doing some work with his partners on creating an accessibility plugin that would work to make most uh, websites accessible or more accessible. And so I was doing uh, some consulting work with him and he asked me a, a bit more about research that I was doing. And so at the time, I had just completed a five-year study looking at analyzing uh, and evaluating the retail environment, the accessibility of the online retail environment of the top 100 retailers in the, uh, in the U.S. Most uh, businesses are woefully uh, inaccessible for their online content. And so while we were looking through this and analyzing the data, you noticed that pharmacies were particularly inaccessible. And whether that was a pharmacy, a standalone pharmacy, or a pharmacy within a grocery store or a big box retailer, you know, what's going on here? Like, why are these so inaccessible? And so whenever you get a good research question, you, you dig in. And so we did uh, more research and we started doing field research and going going to pharmacies and, and asking at the pharmacy counter, I'm blind, what type of accommodations do you have at the pharmacy for people who are blind? And, you know, you would get one of three possible answers, which is like, well, we don't really have anything. And, you know, it's a lousy answer, but it's an answer. The second would be, well, I think that we can print out the labels larger for you. And maybe in some cases, you know, that could help. Or the best case scenario was, I, I think we have something somewhere that might be able to read labels. I don't know what it's called. I'm going to have to look it up and see what that's all about, you know, or we would call the uh, 1-800 numbers and, and ask them and they wouldn't have any clue. And we would end up, you know, stuck in the voicemail hell trying to get a live person. And, you know, we conducted focus groups and all sorts of things to, to ask people, you know, what they thought about the pharmacy uh, environment and its accessibility. And it's through that research, together with me and Andy, that the initial uh, idea was created. And then we found our uh, third uh, business partner, our chief medical officer, Dr. Jason Barrett, who uh, has uh, 25 years of experiences, you know, as a PharmD and was you know really the pharmacy healthcare arm of uh, you know what accessible pharmacy services has to be, which is first and foremost, a premium uh, healthcare company. Right. So I'm sure in talking about accessible pharmacy, as you just have, you've piqued the curiosity of a lot of our listeners who have low vision or maybe no vision eyesight and are interested in, in the service. So how does somebody get access to accessible pharmacy? And, and what's the process like for ordering prescriptions? And what are some of the value adds that Accessible provides? Well, that's a, that's a multi-layered question, but I'm um, certainly happy to, to, to jump in. Anybody who is curious to learn more about Accessible Pharmacy Services is strongly encouraged to uh, visit our website, which is accessiblepharmacy.com. And we also have a 1-800 number. It's 888-633- 7007. Again, that's 888-633-7007. 
I guess we should first talk about what accessible pharmacy services is and what it provides. So we are a full service healthcare company that specializes in the needs of medication management and diabetes management for the, the blind, low vision and deaf blind community. And the, the process is that each one of our patients, we look at as a unique patient. As a complete individual, everybody has so many different characteristics and, and variables that, you know, from accessibility and blindness and uh, medication management, no two people are really the same. So, I mean, people have different levels of, of vision. They came to their, uh, you know, malady uh, at a different time in their life, different reasons. People have different support systems, different levels of education, income, where they live, or people uh, urban or suburban or, or rural, you know, how many, how many maladies or, or comorbidities could they be, uh, you know, dealing with at, at one time? So, you know, not, you know, everybody is, is the same. Certainly people are, are more complex. You know, for example, I have retinitis pigmentosa. I also have a little bit of high blood pressure and bad genes. So I take a, a statin for my cholesterol right? But what I do is I receive my medication. I'm also a patient of accessible pharmacy services. And so in the morning, I have a packet that is full of my vitamin A, my lutein, my uh, NAC, amino acids, and fish oil, as well as my blood pressure medication. And then I have an evening packet that has my uh, NAC and my cholesterol medication. So I'm a pretty easy patient. There could be people who uh, are taking pills in, in the AM, as soon as they wake up, after breakfast, at lunchtime, after dinner, and before bed, and have a pretty complex medication profile. But where it really all begins then is a phone call. You call Accessible Pharmacy Services, and it's a, it's a brief interview. We ask you, about you know your level of vision and and start asking about your uh, medication history uh, and what difficulties and challenges you may have experienced with your medication management in the past and then we help identify the best ways to uh, overcome those barriers whatever they may be for example we have over thirty different types of packaging that we offer based on you know how many medications people need and how they need to be uh, organized, as well as you know dozens of different labeling options from Braille, to large print, different contrasts. We can print labels, I believe, in 200 different languages. And we also have talking label options uh, in, I believe, 50 different languages, all different levels of support in order to find what is going to help the patient be most compliant with uh, managing their medications. So really it is a, a mix and match, but it all starts with a conversation. You couldn't go to your primary care physician and say, you want to start using accessible pharmacy services because we need to have that interview with you so we can explore what your needs are. We also have, uh, it is free home delivery, and we have a continuous uh, refill where there's no break in the con continuity of medication. You know, it gets shipped out the same day each month and uh, will arrive at, at your home as expected the same time each month. And so there's no break in the continuity of care. We go through and we refill the, it's automatic refill. 
and we reorder the prescriptions for you on your behalf. We do everything. We take we you know we take all of this on ourselves as a company and reach out to the prescribing physicians in the event that you know the the refills are done. And in the event that the uh, prescribing physician says, well, the, the person, you know, the patient needs to come in before we would do a reorder, then we go back and we communicate with the, uh, the patient about, you know, what their, their doctor had, had, had said about their prescriptions. But we try and take this off their plate. We try and alleviate the challenges and, and burdens of communicating with the primary care physicians or whoever the prescribers are. Uh, you know, we, we want to run point. We're the point guards for medication management. We want to make sure that the primary care physician, the oncologist, the endocrinologist, the cardiologist, the psychiatrist, everybody knows what everybody else is prescribing because it's going through us to make sure that there aren't any negative interactions. Also, something that we strongly promote for all of our uh, patients is genomic testing, which of course, quite a bit about from FFP and my uh, <laughs> retina tracker. Getting, getting those types of tests is really important, but to the genomic testing, make sure to help us ensure that the patient is on the right medications that will be the most effective for them in terms of you know, how they absorb it into their system or interactions it could be having with things in, in, in their diet or other medications or vitamins or supplements. And then, oh, uh, in terms of vitamins and supplements, I did mention, you know, my, myself, we can also, whatever packaging we find works best for the patient or, you know, what they find works best for them can include any types of vitamins, supplements, over-the-counter medications, anything at all can be included for convenience in those packets. I mean, I remember what a pain in the neck it was just in the morning to, you know, open up the six or seven different things that I take just to do what I can to keep my, you know, RP at bay. So that that was a lot to throw out there. Uh, but I hope that that would have answered the question. Well, you answered the question very well, very thoroughly. And it's really remarkable how much your business does to help the customer. And it's customizable. And, you know, when I think of a lot of services in today's world, the fact that you're you're tailoring the service to the needs of the customer. It's a remarkable thing. And as I think about it, I'm not someone with significant vision loss. I want to sign up for your pharmacy <laughs> just because of the great services you have. Well, it, what, we, what we find though is, you know, with, with any good universal design approach, right? If it works well for the blind, low vision, deafblind community, it works well for everybody who might have some difficulties or, or, or particularly, you know, uh, seniors or people with a, a, a bit more of a, a complex medication profile, as, as it were. So it really can benefit whomever wishes to take part or become part of this, you know, our community. But really, I mean, what we strive for is the pursuit of accessibility. For us, accessibility is not an afterthought, right? We don't do things in case the blind guy from the neighborhood comes in with his cane and we want to be prepared. Like this is a primary focus for us. And that a lot of that comes from my, you know, initially from my personal experience. But then as we, you know, did more and more research and learned, we were continually learning from our patients of how to make things more accessible, new things that are coming on the market, and we test them out. And 
we we let our patients know that hey, this is this is something that 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 could work for you that that that's new in the marketplace. We offer a lot of uh, educational webinars. We just uh, actually had one last week on uh, glaucoma, where we're looking at doing some on different mental health uh, concerns within our population, and 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 many others throughout the year. So, I mean, again, people are encouraged to to visit our website to learn more about the the, the different webinars that we have. Usually every other month or so, but they they have gained a lot of popularity. I mean, we want to be at the forefront of, of our community uh, as it relates to, to healthcare and medication management and making sure things are accessible as possible. From A to Z, you know, from having an accessible website that works very well with uh, screen reading technology, all the way through the uh, consumption packet, the consumption of uh, the deliverables. You know, we've thought about accessibility all along the way. It's not just having an app that reads labels. That's not all there is to making healthcare accessible. There's so much more to it than that. And so that's something that, that we've uh, strived for. And I believe that's a great differentiator between, you know, ourselves and, you know, the standard pharmacies that exist in the marketplace. That's really awesome that, that you're, you're making accessibility core to the business. And my understanding is there's no additional cost for all that great extra service that you're providing. Is that correct? That is true. I mean, we accept all insurances. Now, insurance dictates your prices and your co-pays. And what we find in the vast majority of circumstances, nobody's rates or, or prices or co-pays or anything like that would go up as a result of uh, joining our community as becoming a, a patient of accessible pharmacy services. Now, there are those uh, rare instances based on somebody's insurance where, you know, the insurance companies might make it more difficult to work with accessible pharmacies because they have contracted with a, a specific provider. We do have some ways at times to, you know, help patients get around that, but that necessity is more of a rarity. And for somebody who's listening, who wants to get started, do you recommend they call first? And if you give us that number again, or can they go to accessiblepharmacy.com and sign up there? What's that, the best first step? Two different things, right? You could go to accessiblepharmacy.com and you could arrange to have one of our customer care representatives contact you at a time that's most convenient for you to answer any questions you have and help you sign up. It's not an online process to, to, to sign up to be a patient. We, we want to have a conversation. Or, uh, of course, again, people can always call our 1-800 line, which is 888-633-7007. Again, it's 888-633-7007. That's 888-MEDS-007. We would rather have a conversation because there's nuance to the, these conversations. And also, our customer care representatives are specifically trained to work uh, and be sensitive to the needs of people with varying degrees of, uh, of sight loss and, and, and disability on the other end of the phone. And we also, our sales team is uh, primarily made up of uh, people from the, uh, the blind and low vision community as well. And we 
this summer, we just have a, a new crop of uh, interns from the community as well who want to learn about sales and the pharmacy business and, and, and marketing. So, I mean, we're really, we really are out there in the community. And so for those, you know, community minded businesses, you know, we, we are looking for your support and we would, would greatly appreciate it. Well, Alex, it's been really fun learning about your career and your launch of Accessible Pharmacy. I'm really heartened that you took your passion and chops for hospitality and marketing and accessibility and are really providing a valuable service for so many people with low vision out there. So thank you. Thank you for taking time today to talk about your background and what Accessible Pharmacy is all about. It's been a great discussion. Well, it's been a pleasure to be with you, and and I'm I'm so grateful for what you do, and 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 of course for what the uh, foundation does, and and you know certainly keep plugging along, and uh, you know we're we're making a dent in the overall accessibility of the marketplace. Uh, it progress is slow, but you know we're getting there. We're making it happen. Well, it sounds like you're off to a great start, and again, thank you for all you're doing, and listeners. Thank you, as always, for joining Eye on the Cure. It's great to have you. Stay tuned for the next episode. This has been Eye on the Cure. To help us win the fight, please donate at foundationfightingblindness.org.